at this morning, uh, continuing on through the book of Genesis. And as we continue on with our study through uh, the book of Genesis, we're going to see in this next chapter that our attention is now brought back to the life of Joseph. And um, of course, this is after the brief interruption that we experienced last week in chapter 38. And I don't really know if that's the right way of calling it, but we our attention at least was redirected with the historical account of Joseph's brothers, our brother Judah, um, in chapter 38. And there in that is chapter is the record which details uh, where Judah went and what happened to him and his sons after Joseph had been sold into slavery. And if you remember from our study of chapter 37, uh, Joseph had been given two dreams. Um, one with the moon and the sun and the stars, and one with uh, sheaves of grain. And both of those uh, dreams were uh, from God. They were dreams given from God, and both of these dreams were prophetic in nature as they foretold of a time when Joseph would be in a position of authority over his brothers. And um, after each one of those dreams, we were told that Joseph went to his father, went to his family, his father's mother, and his ten older brothers, he being the youngest, and spoke to them about these dreams, and um, it didn't sit too well with, with, with his brothers. And in fact, what we're told is it only inflamed their envy and their hatred of Joseph. And they had hated Joseph, and they were envious of him, because um, Joseph was their father's favorite. And Jacob had spared no expense in showing that he loved Jacob more than he loved any of his other children. And in fact, he had even singled Joseph out, if you guys remember, by honoring him with a tunic or a coat, we're told, of many colors. And we talked about what that was, but that coat of many colors, it really distinguished Joseph, who was the youngest, into a position of authority or, or, or uh, above his brothers. And and we've seen how that may also have been in conjunction to, to Joseph's character as a, a faithful and honest servant, even to his father, but, but it was also connected to his father's love for Joseph. Consequently, uh, when Joseph was at a time when he was with his brothers, uh, when they were far away from home, his brothers had been tending the, the flocks, and, and uh, Jacob sent Joseph out to check on them, that at that time, Joseph's brothers conspired to kill him, to kill their own brother. And they ripped off his coat of many colors and were told that they um, threw him into a pit. Even, but even though their intention was to kill Joseph, uh, we're told that as some Ishmaelites were passing by alongside the road, that Judah, the one we read about last week, that he made a suggestion and he suggested that, that rather than killing their brother, that they sell him and make a profit because there would be no profit in it for them just by simply killing Joseph. So they ended up selling Joseph into slavery. They tricked their father into believing that a wild beast had devoured Joseph uh, by covering that coat of many colors in, in the, the blood of a, a, a goat that they had killed. And, and, and now as we continue on today into chapter 39... And study the life of the, this life story of Joseph, and read about what happened to him. What we're going to see, as we as we study through this chapter and in the chapters that follow, is we're going to see that Joseph's life is defined by faithfulness. 
I mean, that's a really cool thing, I think, for us to have the opportunity to look at because that's what something that God calls us to, is to be faithful. And, and Joseph's life is defined by faithfulness, but just not any kind of faithfulness, but faithfulness and contentment, hand in hand, in spite of the repeated betrayals, the suffering, and the hardships that outwardly appeared to undo any good thing that came to Joseph. Faithfulness and contentment. And as we consider Joseph's life that is filled with this hardship, that is filled with um, suffering, we see that there's probably no other person in the Old Testament whose life more clearly reveals the sovereignty of God. In fact, um, God's divine intervention into Joseph's life is manifested in every detail of Joseph's life. And um, the hand of God is seen to be with Joseph um, in all that he goes through, to the good times and in the bad times, in, in, in the hilltop experiences and in those valley times. And, and the life that Joseph lived is truly the Old Testament example of what we get to read today in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which says this. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So as we read about Joseph, about Joseph's life, or Joseph's life story, guys, we can be encouraged by this promise. We can be encouraged by this promise that God is working out our misfortunes, our heartbreaks, and our sufferings for our good and for his glory, just like he did for Joseph. So with that, why don't we uh, pray? And uh, I'll read chapter 39. Lord, as we dive into your word, Lord, as we open it up together, we come to you and ask, God, that you would speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, that you would convict us of sin and unrighteousness. Father, that you would instruct us in the way that is good and right. Father, that you would thoroughly equip us for every good work that you have. Father, that we would take your word and we would hide it in our hearts so that we may not sin against you. And ultimately, God, that we may be sanctified and, Lord, that we may be lights in this dark place. Lord, we know that you've placed your Holy Spirit in us. God, we, we, we believe your word to be true. And, Lord, as we reflect on the example of Joseph and see um, how you uh, were in control of every aspect of his life, even when things seem so out of control, Lord, it gives us encouragement today in our own walk, in our own struggles. And so, Lord, we ask, God, that you would have your way with us today. God, that you would, um, I pray, Lord, that you would use me like you used Joseph, Lord, that I would just submit myself to you. Lord, that my own um, weaknesses, uh, that you'd be strong, Lord, in my weakness. Lord, I believe that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So, Lord, um, bless us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chapter 39, it says in verse 1, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from, or bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of the master 
the Egyptian, of his master the Egyptian. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand, that Joseph found favor in his sight and served him, then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not even know what he, uh, what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now, Joseph was a handsome in, a, in form and appearance and it came to pass in verse 7 after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said lie with me but he refused and said to his master's wife look my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has to my hand there is no one greater in this house than I nor has he kept back anything from me but you but you are his wife How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, verse 10, as he spoke to Joseph, so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened after this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the uh, the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he, and he fled, and he ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of the house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So verse 16 says, she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard these words, which he which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because it was the Lord, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Quite a story. Quite an account of... Um, doing the right thing, and still being treated in an unfair and unjust way. But there's much for us to learn and much for us to see and much for us to apply to our own lives. And 
as we begin to study through these verses and look back upon the things that happened to Joseph and where God was at and all of it, I want to go back and take, um, I want to first account for you guys and for us all this morning really so a few historical facts. And I think it's important for us to do so because this story of Joseph, the stuff that we read here and the, and the things that we're going to read about in, in the weeks and in the chapters to come, the story of Joseph is one of those larger-than-life stories that you know is easily and regularly taught in Sunday school, you know, right alongside stories of David and Goliath and Moses, you know, parting the Red Sea and and all these things in the Old Testament that just you know stick in our minds year after year after year. And because of this larger-than-life kinds of things that we're reading about, I think we can allow for what we read to drift away from. Um, the understanding that this is a, a, a real historical account and even kind of enter into that story back, that storybook kind of mindset into, into our minds. And so I want to assure you this morning that this story of Joseph, the person who he was, the place he lived and the things that happened to him are all things of history. And what we are reading about here is a historical account. And I want to start off by pointing out that because the Egyptians were one of the most advanced of of some of the ancient peoples or of all of the ancient peoples, what we, what we have as a result of that is very many well-preserved ancient artifacts. Artifacts that give us a detailed picture of what ancient Egypt was like, as well as many, 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 many ancient historical writings that have been found on, on, on stone and papyrus that detail for us um, and tell us exactly what the Egyptian people were like and how they lived. In fact, when a timeline of biblical events are laid alongside a timeline of things that have been documented by these ancient writings that have been found, these ancient Egyptian writings that were written by their scholars, what we're able to determine is that the unnamed Egyptian pharaoh, who's first mentioned here in this chapter, we'll continue to read about, who ruled during this time when Joseph was in Egypt as a slave, that he was a man by the name of Sennacherib II. And, 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 we, and we know this because we can deal in the, in the biblical accounts going, starting, if you start back from the reign of Solomon, and we know that when that was, and you look at the history of Israel and the time that they were in Egyptian slavery and, and bondage, and you, you do all the math, you come to a certain date in history. Well, we, we take that and we coincide it with the these ancient writings that we found, which, which also account that Sennacherib II ruled during those exact dates. And historical artifacts tell us that Sennacherib II, he was actually the fourth pharaoh of the 12th dynasty of Egypt. He ruled from 1897 to 1878 BC, and like I said, that coincides with the time that Joseph was in Egypt that the Bible accounts for us. Furthermore, the, the, the pyramid which, which Sennacherib II was found to be, be buried in, it was constructed in a place that's called um, El Lujon, which literally means, um, well, it basically means the city of pyramids, El Lujan. And um, artifacts that were found in his tomb account for the fact that Sennacherib II took a great deal of interest in this Fayum Oasis region 
where the um, El Lahum, the city of, of, of pyramids, where his tomb is at. Um, um, again, the name of that place is called uh, the, the, the Fayum Oasis. And, and in those historical records that archaeologists have found, they, they see that um, Sennacherib II began work on an extensive irrigation system that went all the way from Bar Yusuf through Lake Morris there in Egypt um, and on through to the construction of a, a mammoth dike that has been discovered in El Lahum, where there was a reservoir of water that flew down through this irrigation system that he constructed. And then on down to a network of drainage canals. And, and the, 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 these artifacts that have been discovered tell us that the purpose of this project was to increase the amount of cultivatable land in that area. And you might go, okay, that's all cool and fine, but what's the significance of this? And the significance of this is, is when we consider all this in light of our biblical account, the history and story of Joseph, which tells us ultimately that Pharaoh had a dream which was interpreted by Joseph. And, and in that dream, Joseph explained that, that God was giving a prophecy, that God was foretelling of a time that was to come, a time of seven years of, of, of plenty, followed by a seven years of famine, it makes sense to us then that this pharaoh, Sennacherib II, at this exact same time, would then focus so much of his time, of his reign, of his resources into an extensive irrigation system like this. In addition to this ancient history, excuse me, in addition to this ancient history teaches us that when Joseph was taken down to Egypt, Egypt was primarily a land of small villages inhabited by peasants who worked the land to raise grains, various kinds of grains and vegetables. And, and, there, and, and there were also you know, a few large cities at this time like Helopolis, um, where Ra, the sun god, was honored, but also uh, uh, ancient documents account another town, another city, large city, by the name of Memphis, which was devoted to Apis, the sacred bull god. And I point that out because generally speaking, the Egyptian people were filled with much religious superstition. And archaeologists have determined that they, the Egyptian people, worship more than 2,000 different gods and goddesses, including Pharaoh himself, who was deemed to be a deity or, or a god. But there was a special emphasis in the Egyptians' way of life in preparing for the afterlife. For when Orissus the God of the dead would judge one's deeds. And this was evident in their practice or their perfecting of the practice of embalming, you know, which we have now so many, so many preserved Egyptian um, uh, royalty as, 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 as also with Sennacherib II and with the mummies and those kinds of things that were found in, the, in, in their tombs and also in the construction of the pyramids, which were these tombs that, that were uh, gateways, if you will, for these, these people to where they believed they could transcend into the next life. Now, in addition to the many scribes who were devoted to these to accounting these kinds of historical things which we've discovered over the years. Egypt also had thousands of priests and thousands of wise men who were given to the studies of the heavens and of the earth. 
And, and, and through the Egyptians, we receive our calendar today, the solar calendar, which um, has 365 and one quarter days. Furthermore, ancient Egypt is still known today for their practice, in, their practice of, of, of medicine and for uh, medicines that have been a building block for some of the things that we still even use in modern medicine today. Um, they're also well known for their horses and chariots, which were used to perfect the art of war, but they're also known for their many slaves, like Joseph, who were forced to build Egypt into this mighty nation that they became. But as we read about Joseph here, what we see in this historical account is that Joseph was no ordinary slave. In fact, we see that he was very special because we see this mentioned multiple times in this chapter, and we'll see it over and over again in the chapters that follow, but just Joseph was special. Joseph was different because the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And because the Lord was with Joseph, we see that he was a man of accomplishment, but we also see that, that, that like, um, like Joseph, and in, 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 in seeing what he was able to accomplish because the Lord was with him, we can also see from that we too can accomplish amazing and mighty things when the Lord is with us. That God has a plan for us and for our lives, and he's working in us and through us for his honor and for his glory, just like he did for Joseph. In light of this, we need to remember that at this time, if you remember, Joseph was only 17 years of age. 17 years old when he had been betrayed by his brothers, when he had been sold into slavery by them and was taken far, far away from his home, from everything that was familiar to him, down to Egypt, from everything that was comfortable to him. Now he was gone. And in a matter of a few days, think about this, all within a matter of a few days, Joseph's life as the father's favorite, having this position of authority and honor, had been turned completely upside down. And instead of a coat which represented his honor and authority, Joseph was now wearing the clothes of a slave. And even though these first six verses that we first look at here this morning, even though these first six verses kind of make it seem that Joseph was brought into slavery and into into Potiphar's house and just kind of immediately was elevated into this position of authority and, and, and maybe into a life of ease, um, we know that that's not how it took place, that there's some time in between. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 105, verse 18, it tells us that for a time, as, there, as it speaks about Joseph, it says that they bruised his feet with shackles and his neck was put in irons. But even during this time of suffering, we read that God was with Joseph. And he was working all things together for Joseph's good and for his glory. This is important for us to notice and for us to consider because when we consider this, when we consider God's workings, we need to see that there are always two areas. There are always two areas that God is working together for good for those who love him. And one of the areas, the very first area that God is always working things together for our good is on the inner man. More than God is concerned about the things that are going on the outside, which is often things that we're more concerned about. God, if you just take care of this and if you just take care of that, it'll all be good. 
But more concerned than the outward things, God's concerned about the inward things, the heart of the man, our hearts, who we are, what we are like. And so one of the areas that God is always working things together for good is in our hearts, in our persons, on the inside. But God is also working things together on the outside for His good. The outer circumstances that, 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 that come in and out of our lives, just like it did for Joseph. And if, what we see is that if God, was, if, if, if God was with Joseph during this whole time, like verse 3 tells us, or like verse 3 says, then we need to see that God was in control through this whole thing at all times. And when we look at it in that light, we see then it was that God who allowed for Joseph to be taken from his family. It was God who allowed for Joseph to be taken from his home. It was God who allowed for Joseph to be taken from his position of authority and honor in order to become an Egyptian slave. Why? So that he might work on the inner man. So that God might work all things together for his good and for his glory. For those who love him and for his glory. And in doing so, we see that God at the very least was teaching Joseph humility and teaching him how to be a servant. And we might go, well, why was this necessary? And it was necessary because of what God had in the future. What God wanted to do not only in Joseph, but through Joseph. And it was necessary because God had a good plan for Joseph. Just like God has a good plan for us, a future and a hope for every one of us. Thoughts of good, Bible tells us, and not thoughts of evil. And God had a good plan for Joseph, plans for him to lead and save a nation and his own family through him. Remember, this is not just the story of Joseph. This is the story of the Hebrew people. And what we'll know is that when this famine came upon the land, this family, the Hebrew family, the descendants of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they would be brought in, it says, into Egypt. And from them, this family who would go in would come out 430 years later, a mighty nation. This was part of God's plan. And he was choosing Joseph to be the key to it all. But before Joseph could lead, we see that he had to learn to serve. Before Joseph could lead, he had to learn to serve. You know what, guys? This is a, this is a principle. This is a kingdom principle. This is a principle of the kingdom of God. And it seems foreign to us because it's not a principle that's brought forth in the world or the kingdom that we live in today. God's ways are not man's ways. And more times than not, well, every single time when someone's not a believer in this world, and even some believers in this world who are raised to positions of authority and power, they forget that, they forget this, they don't know or they forget this kingdom principle that our leaders are supposed to be servants. It's not that way. But in God's kingdom, it is that way. It's a principle. And this principle is made evident in the New Testament, even by the words of Jesus, who not only, or, or even by Jesus, who not even not only exampled this by the life that he lived, but he also spoke about it. And in Matthew chapter twenty, verses twenty-six through twenty-eight, Jesus said this. He says, "Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your 
slave. Now think about that for just a second. A servant is different than a slave, right? A servant is one who makes this choice to serve another. And there's still some free will that's, that's being held on to. And Jesus, and he's speaking about this, and he, he, he ups the ante, you know? And, and when we read the writings of the Apostle Paul, he often speaks about being a bondservant, literally a, a, a slave by choice to Jesus Christ. You know, when we talk about that, we talk about being servants, and we talk about being slaves and those kinds of things, and, and it's all good and fine with us. At least it seems to be all good and fine with me, and I know you guys are like me too. I'm good with that until someone treats me like their servant, or someone treats me like their slave, or mistreats me. But this is a kingdom principle, and God says this is what we need to learn in order that he can work the good in us so that he might work the good through us for the good plans that he has for those around us and for our own lives. He said, whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, here's the example, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And man, that takes away every excuse, does it not? If Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, was willing to come and be a servant, to be a slave, to serve and not seek to be served, is this not something that God would have us learn also? It was something that God was wanting Joseph to, to learn. And the way we learn it is by doing it. And so he brought Joseph to this place of being a servant, of being a slave. And so God was working on the inner man of Joseph for good. Through what? I hate to say it, but it's true. Through unfavorable circumstances. How can we not think about what James writes to us in the very beginning? And he says, brothers, count it all joy when, when you fall into various trials or when various trials come upon you. Hard things, unfavorable circumstances, trials, difficulties, sufferings. Is all of our life like this? No, not at all. I mean, life in the Lord and the blessing that He has for us is awesome. And there are those hilltop things, but there's certainly these difficult things that God permits, God allows, that God brings. And so God was working through Joseph through the unfavorable circumstances that he was in. And because Joseph was faithful, here's the key, because we can respond in one or two ways when this happens. Usually there's a whole, a whole valley, if you will, wide of different kinds of, 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 of responses for us. But the truth is, is there's a dividing line somewhere in that where it's either on this side or that side, where we're accepting, where we're willing Or on the other side where we're whining and we're complaining and we're resisting the hand of God, the will of God. And sometimes we start over on the whining, complaining, and resisting side and God works in us and brings us over to the other side, right? Where we're faithful no matter what's going on to accept what God has and to receive what God wants to do. And we see this through Joseph. Joseph was faithful to do what was set before him. And we see as a result of it that God blessed Joseph. And he made him, we're told in verse 3, that it made him successful in all that he did. 
He made him successful in all that he did. Consequently, Joseph was promoted to greater things. It's, a, it's also another kingdom principle, right? You be faithful in a little, God's going to make you faithful over much. So the Bible tells us don't despise the, the, the day of, of small beginnings. Things begin when things are small. And whatever God's got for you, look for it as an opportunity for good that God wants to do in you and through you. Because it's the truth. And even though we don't see it with our eyes, we have to walk by faith and, and receive it in our hearts, just like Joseph had to, exercising faith. God, I don't know what's going on here. One day I'm with my father. I've got the, the coat of many colors. You've given me these dreams where I'm going to be in a position of power and authority. I believe it to be true. But God, right now, I'm a slave with, a, with chains around my ankles and around my neck. What's going on? And man, we can so too relate that in our lives, but we have to respond in a way that's right, faithful to do what God has set before us. And in doing so, God's going to bless us. God's going to make us successful in what we do. The point is, with the good of the work that was taking place on the inner man, there was also the good, the working of good in the outer things regarding Joseph's circumstances. That's what we see. That's what we read. And as a result of Joseph's circumstances changing, as a result of Joseph's circumstances changing, or when they changed, or because they changed, um, the Lord who was with Joseph, we're told, caused everything that he did to prosper. And Potiphar then, according to verse 4, made Joseph overseer of his household. And all that he had was put under Joseph's authority. Why? Because Potiphar saw... God in Joseph. He saw that, that Joseph prospered not because he was super smart, not because he was super good looking, handsome in form and appearance, but he, 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 he elevated him because he saw that the Lord was with him. He saw God. And so you guys, when we're faithful in the little things, in the, in the places of small beginnings, in the, in, in the hard things, in the times where we're treated like a servant, treated like a slave, people see God in us. And things change. Number one, God's glorified. Right? Part of the reason that God does the good thing in us is so He could do the good thing through us, but also so that He might be glorified. And what that means simply is that other people may see Him. So Joseph, Joseph was faithful, and I want to point out that his rise to uh, this position of power and authority didn't happen overnight. Didn't happen overnight. And because Joseph was faithful to serve his master, and because he was content with what he was given to do, and content with where God had put him, Joseph was able to gain the favor. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6, it tells us, remember, Godliness with contentment, guys, is great gain. And if Joseph had not been a faithful servant who exercised godly contentment, it's likely that his circumstances would not have changed for the better. Think about it. What might have happened if he wasn't a good slave? If he hadn't been a faithful servant? He might have been beaten. He might have been put to death. But he did 
exercise faithfulness. He was content, and in doing so, Joseph is this good example for us of a believer who trusted in God and made the best of his difficult, of his difficult circumstances. And even though Joseph would have rather been at home, just like lots of times when our circumstances are unfavorable, we'd rather have them be something than what they are. Even though Joseph was, would have rather probably been at home, he accepted his circumstances while he was in Egypt. And guys, this was done because he submitted himself to God. He submitted himself to God, and as he submitted himself to God, he served his Egyptian master. And see, often we get so focused on the temple things and the places and the people that God puts us in, and we think that it's all about that. We lose sight of the fact that God's not only the one that's called us to the place, but God's the one who's calling us into submission, into him, into obedience to him. And so as Joseph submitted to, his, to, to, to God, he served his Egyptian master, Potiphar. And as we consider Joseph as an example, we should be reminded, there's, it's a lot of verses, but I want to read it to you this morning of 1 Peter chapter 2. Because it's, it's, it applies so clearly. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 21, it says this, Submit yourselves... For the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to king or to supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. I'm going to read that again. Maybe probably just for myself. But, for it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust Suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is a commendable thing before God. To this you were called. Was Joseph called to this place, to Potiphar's house? Or was it circumstances out of God's control? Was God still not sovereign? Yes, he was. Was he still on the throne? Yes, he was. Is he still on the throne in your life? Yes, he is. Is where you're at not the place that he's called you to be? Yes, it is. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. That we should follow in his footsteps. And remember, Joseph is just a picture, a fore picture of Jesus Christ, who endured the shame, who endured the suffering for the glory of God, for the joy that was set before him, for the future, for the work that God was going to do through his son, saving you and I, through the work that God was doing through Joseph to save a nation, to save a family, to save a people, and ultimately to save the world. And what is God doing in and through your life? What are you allowing God? Or what are you resisting? What are we resisting 
that is from the hand of God that is holding back the good work that God wants to do in and through us so that he may be glorified. What is it? Guaranteed, guys, there's something in all of our lives that we can look to where God's speaking to us specifically this morning about where, God, where God's calling us to this place to be faithful and content to where he's got us. You see, no more, uh, more often than not, guys, God's method for doing a good work in us so that he might do a good work through us is to give us a job to do and people to obey. And that job to do may be serving the very person that has hurt you or offended you, forgiving them, showing them God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. I don't know what it is, but there's usually a job to do and people, and, and people to obey in this process of God doing a good work in us so that he might do a good work through us. In doing so, you see, God is ultimately testing us, refining us. That's what it says in the book of James as his servants and refining us into the men and women that he wants to be. But if in the process God chooses to bless us, and sometimes he does, like he did here for Joseph, by changing his circumstances, it doesn't mean that our circumstances are always going to remain the same. And such was the case for Joseph. And that's so important, especially in light of some of the teaching that was in the church today where it says, man, if, if you are somehow receiving unfavorable things, then it must be because you're in some kind of sin. And it's not always true. The Bible tells us that we're going to have trouble in this world when we follow after Christ. And we see that Joseph did the right thing and he still ended up in a very hard place. Not only was this the case for Joseph, it was the case for many men in the Bible, men like the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul writes this in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. He says this, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you've had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this, he says, because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content Whatever the circumstance, he says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's the secret. This is what he's learned. Very last thing of it. He makes this proclamation and it's this statement of what he has learned and it's what we need to learn is that we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. Because within ourselves there's no faithfulness. Within ourselves there's no contentment. And that's revealed by our first reaction into these things. We're like, I want it to be different. This is really hard. And God works us through, works through, works in us through his spirit and brings us to this point where we go, okay, I can do this. I can be faithful. I can be content. I can be the servant. I can be the slave, even though that knucklehead keeps treating me like a slave. And sometimes that might be your kids. It might be your spouse. It might be a coworker. But yet God calls us in the place that he's called us to to faithfulness, to contentment, to know that we can do it through His Son, Jesus Christ, who strengthens us. And like Paul, we must realize that contentment is not found in favorable circumstances. Contentment is found in this. Contentment that comes with godliness is found in this. It's found in trusting in and submitting to God no matter what our circumstances might be. No matter how 
people might treat us. And in light of this, Joseph's circumstances, we see were once again changing, right? And no fault of his own. And in light of this, we should be reminded that circumstances are temporary. I, guys, you, I know you know that, but here's the deal. We, we forget that because we become comfortable. And, we, and, and sometimes we even become gun-shy when things are going well. But sometimes we get on the other side and it's like, this is how it's always going to be. I've worked really hard to get here. I deserve it. But circumstances are temporary, and just because they change, guys, this is why I pointed out, just because circumstances change, it doesn't mean that God changes, right? It doesn't mean that God's no longer in control. It does not mean that God's no longer with us, and it certainly does not mean that God's no longer doing a good work, because He is, and we see that with Joseph. And in verse 7 it says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused. And said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. And there is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so it was as Joseph spoke, or she spoke to Joseph day by day, day by day, that he did not heed her with her be with her and we know that she devised this plan and called joseph into her room when no one else is around and um joseph ran away he fled and she falsely accused him of this thing and man joseph was unjustly put into prison sometimes i wonder if potiphar's anger which is expressed here was not towards his wife <laughs> Because he knew what man, what kind of man Joseph was. But maybe perhaps he felt he was in this predicament with this situation with his wife. And now what was he going to do? I don't know. That's just speculation. It's, you know, I don't normally go there. But that's just where I'm thinking in here. Because, because we may be in that situation where we're falsely accused, guys. And the person that's, that's um, committed at that moment with doing the right or wrong thing based upon the unjust thing as our hand or our future may be, or as our future, our lives may be in their hands, so to speak. It doesn't always mean that that person's going to do the right thing. But that doesn't mean that, and again, we lose kind of a perspective in thinking that ultimately our lives, our future is in the hand of those persons. Joseph's hand or Joseph's life wasn't in that, the in future wasn't in the hand of Potiphar in this moment. Whose hands was he still in? We're told this. The Lord was with him. He was in God's hands. And so Joseph's circumstances changed, but what we know is that God remained with Joseph. We're told that and that God was still doing this good work. We see this, especially when we read on and find out what happened to Joseph while he was in prison. And in this, we see that God is always the same, even when our circumstances change. We're told that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, when it tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And sometimes we, we lose sight of that and we become confused with the things that are going on around us and going, God, what are you doing? Where have you gone? Why are you allowing for this? And the underlying tone to that thought of that unbelief of the moment we're in or the doubt or the fear is rested in the fact that somehow God is still not who he said he is. 
Or God's somehow not going to continue to do what He said He's going to do. And because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, or forever, because of this, what we know is that God's plans, God's purposes, and God's promises for our lives cannot be changed even though the circumstances may change. Or that God's plans, God's purposes, God's promises for our lives cannot be changed just because something on the outside does change. And when we, by faith, receive this truth, what we'll come to understand, guys, is that God never loses control. Even if we're the ones behind the reason for circumstances changing. And sometimes, guys, it can be our own sinfulness, our own disobedience, our own lack of contentment or faithfulness. It still is. Even when we're faithless, He's still what? Faithful. He's still faithful. And so when we live by faith and when we receive this truth about God always being unchanging, we come to understand that God never loses control. He doesn't lose control even when our circumstances change. And when we understand that, we'll come to understand that the changes we experience, guys, are ultimately also part of God's will. They're part of God's plan, just like they were for Joseph. Was it God's plan for Joseph to go to prison? Yeah. Was it God's will for Joseph to go to prison? Yeah. It was God's will and God's plan. And this helps us to see that even when things unexpectedly change, God is still able to work things, all things together for good to those of us who love him. So God allowed for Joseph's circumstances to change, and even though Joseph was falsely accused and even unjustly imprisoned, Joseph utilized his faithfulness and contentment, or excuse me, God used Joseph's faithfulness and contentment, used that or utilized it to bring forth good in and through Joseph's situation. Now, one of the things that I want to take a few minutes to, 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 to focus on before we, we move past this, this part of this, this, this section of the, of the, of the chapter um, I want to look at the good work that God was doing in Joseph as he resisted the temptation of Potiphar's wife, from Potiphar's wife. Because in this, we see that not only must a man and wo- man or woman of God, not only must we possess the discipline of being a servant, we also need to possess the discipline of self-control. That's one of the things that God's always working in us. Servanthood and self-control. As a matter of fact, these things go hand in hand. And self-control is an important factor in building godly character and preparing us for the good works of God that God wants to do through us. In fact, in Psalms 25, or Proverbs 25, verse 28, it says this. It says, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Now think about that. What is a city without walls like? Because the point is, is when there's no walls, what can happen? Anything can get in and anything can get out. As a matter of fact, everything can get in and everything can get out. But Joseph had walls. 
And even though he had been given charge all over, over all of his master's things, we read and we're told that he was able to resist the temptations that came from Potter's wife, even on a daily basis, even though he could have justified and gave way to the sin because of the authority and the power that he had received. But he resisted. And it took great, a great deal of courage and determination, certainly for Joseph, to fight this battle day after day. So in exercising self-control, we see that Joseph in verses 8 and 9 were told that he considered three things. Considered three things. He thought it out. He had a plan in exercising self-control against this temptation on a daily basis. And you know what? Even if it's for a split second, guys, because of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and God's Word who's been put into our hearts, as the Bible says, is a prophetic uh, fulfillment of the book of uh, what was written in the book of Joel. Even though it may be a, for a split second, when we too are faced with temptation or sin, there's these walls that have been put up by God, if you will, to protect us where we go, in that moment, if I do this, this is going to happen. Or I shouldn't do this because this is wrong. Every single time, without excuse, the Holy Spirit's there to do that for us, making a way of escape. It wasn't like that before we gave our lives to Christ because we were given over to the debaseness of our flesh, our lusts. But now it's different. And Joseph had these walls. He had these things. He had this understanding. And first he said, he said this, as he's speaking to, 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 to this woman, you're another man's wife, and, and, and that man is my master. A wall. But he also explained that he was trusted by his master and he didn't want to violate that trust. Another wall. But more importantly, and lastly, in verse 9, Joseph pointed out that even if nobody else found out about it, because there was nobody else in the room, the house she had ranged it at that time, something he probably could have done and gotten away with, right? But Joseph pointed out that even if nobody else found out what, he said God would know it, and it would be a great wickedness and, and sin against God. Ultimately, guys, that's the last wall that any of us has. Sin against God. In light of this, we should see that Joseph, he had ultimately as these walls to, to, to exercise in this discipline of self-control, it came or it flowed through him ultimately as a respect and a, res- a, re- a reverence and a fear for God. It's something that's greatly lacking within the church today, a fear, a reverence, and a respect for God. You know, we like to talk about God being a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of forgiveness, and He is, guys, but He's also a God of justice. A holy God, a pure God, and he demands the same from those who are his. And as a result of this respect and reverence and fear of God, as a result, what was Joseph able to do? A wall. It didn't go out. He was able to resist. He was able to resist these ongoing temptation, this temptation from Potiphar's wife even when she tried to catch him. Even when she tried to catch him, we're told that he fled from her and he ran away. 
And Joseph's example of fleeing from sin is something that we're admonished to do. Guys, there's no shame in running away from sin like a, like a with your tail, just get out of there. You run away. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 through 22, it says, says this. It says, To flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who are called, with those who call upon on the Lord out of a pure heart. And that's, you see, the, I love that verse because it's simply not enough to flee for something. It's, it's simply not enough to run from something. We looked at that with, with Judah last week. We talked about as much as Judah was leaving a place, he was going to a place. And, 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 and running and fleeing from something is only beneficial or profitable as a wall in our life if we're running towards what? Righteousness. Pursuing that faith and love and peace Turning to the Lord, that's what repentance is about. And through that comes restoration. That's why Timothy also wrote in 1 Timothy, or Paul wrote in Tim, to Timothy in chapter 6, verses 11 through 12, and said this. He said, but you, man of God, but you, man of God, you, woman of God, children of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, I love this one. It says, in some translations, it says patience or endurance. And that's lots of times so key to the exercising of self-control, right? Perseverance, endurance, and gentleness. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And such is the case with us. So Joseph lost, guys, his new coat of authority. Another coat had been stripped from him. First, the coat of many colors given by a loving father. Now, this coat of authority as a result of what? As a result of doing the right thing. And what we see that is in that even though he did the right thing, his reputation was slandered. Who here cares about the reputation? I think we all do to some extent. But you know what? If we're doing that, we're doing the wrong thing. Let me explain. I'll get there in just a second. You know, his repu Joseph's reputation was slandered, but because he feared God, resisted the temptation, and fled from sin, what he was able to maintain was his character. His reputation was slandered, but his character remained. Unfortunately, too many people have failed in exercising self-control. Maybe us too, certainly all of us at one point or another, maybe many times, in regards to fleeing from temptation. And as a result, you know what happens? We lose our character, not just our reputation, but our character, our godly witness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, it says, Do you not know that all those who run in a race or uh, all those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize. Therefore, run in, in such a way that you may obtain it. Obtain what, Paul says? The prize. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things or disciplines themselves. And they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we are in this race. We run this thing for an imperishable crown. And Paul says, therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, Meaning, not without a plan, not without purpose. 
He says, I run with a plan. I run with a purpose, with a goal. He says, I fight, not as one who beats the air. And so I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself shall have become disqualified, meaning my reputation. One of my favorite sayings, you've heard me say it before, is worry about your character and let God worry about your reputation. And even though Joseph's reputation was unjustly marred by the false accusation, we see, guys, that it was a temporary thing. And God had not forsaken him. God had not forsaken him. And Joseph was a man of character, and in the end, God restored because Joseph focused on his character, because Joseph concerned about his character. What we see is that God ultimately restored his reputation. I think we're going to have to end there this morning if the worship team wants to come back up. I'm just going to read the last few verses to close it out. And it says, but the Lord was with Joseph. Again, the Lord was with Joseph and he showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all of the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. And the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, that this would be true in our own lives. Lord, even when we're in the midst of hard circumstances or we've been falsely accused or, 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 or um, unjustly um, found, um, unjustly treated, God, because of things that we've been falsely accused of, or even, Lord, when there things are true and we've wrecked it ourselves, that we can still come to you and know, Lord, that you're always with us. And that if we um, maintain um, a godly character, Lord, pursuing righteousness and love and gentleness and, and those things, God, that, you, that, that Paul writes to us about, Lord, that you have the ability to restore. We don't have to defend ourselves, Lord. That we can trust that it's still a part of your great plan and purpose and will for our lives. And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who finds themselves probably, possibly, Lord, in a in a, a position uh, in regarding their circumstances where they feel like the slave, Lord, or they feel like they're in prison. I pray, God, that you would assure them this morning that you're doing a good work in them and through them, and that you're in the process of restoring, Lord, that you're in a process of renewing, that you're in the process of being glorified through us. So, Lord, let us and help us to trust in you. God, give us an additional measure of faith. And Lord, if we find ourselves this morning in this place where we've been elevated because of you and we're prospering because of you and our circumstances are favorable because of you, Lord, help us to resist the temptations, Lord, to stray away. Help us, God, to, as Paul said, continue to fight the good fight to enjoy, God, everything that comes from you, whether we have a little or a lot, that we may receive it with gladness in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys stand, sing a last song of worship together. Mm-hmm.